Welcome to Dig This, a podcast about using archaeology, heritage, and business to do some good in this world. I'm Jenny. And I'm Amanda. Join us in a guest or two as we reevaluate and decolonize our work, our relationships, and our values. We're recording from the unceded territory of the Shimshan Nation, the Kitsilis people in Terrace, BC and also recording from Bowser, BC. In the beautiful unceded territory of the Qualicum First Nation. Um, hey, Amanda. Hey, Jenny. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. How are you? I'm good. I was saying I was a bit tired today. There's just a lot of things going on. What's the farm news? Oh, well, we just bought a new house. And, uh, yeah, I know super crazy uh we are supposed to get possession of it tomorrow but we actually got into it yesterday so yeah that's why I'm excited because it's just it's fun having a new house getting reorganized (laughs) everybody else is like fuck I hate moving and you're like yay moving (laughs) I'm really looking forward to it because I don't know, just like decluttering and getting rid of stuff. We've been here for 15 years. And can, this, you, can you believe that? I can't believe it. I can't believe where the last 15 years went. Yeah, it's hard to really imagine where it went, but I'm excited for the future and I'm excited to pack. So I'm going to be working on that next week. Are you excited for kitchen parties with the animals in the new house, the way we used to do in the old house? Oh, totally. In the new house, there's a, a patio where they can just walk right in the patio door. They nice. can come into the, li- the living room. Oh my God. What kind of flooring? Is it like hoof um, friendly flooring? Uh, not really. It's hardwood flooring. Mm-hmm. So might have to get some special rugs. <laughs> <laughs> Go into Home Depot. Hi, I'm looking for these rugs. Oh, what kind of rug are you looking for? I'm looking for a rug to accommodate farm animals in the kitchen for a party I love it (laughs) perfect well do you want to get started with today's topic yeah yeah let's what are we talking about today we have a we have a guest right we have a, a guest and it's someone that we that our business intersects with all the time so it's really lovely to have this guest do you want to do you want to do the intro well, I, I was hoping you could introduce the guest to me because we've actually never met. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's okay. All right. So today we are talking about women in business. So obviously we're archaeologists, obviously we're women, but we also own and run businesses, owner operators. And that's kind of a special thing in and of itself. We don't have any training in business, Amanda and I don't, other than what we learned um, kind of on the job. And so it's great to talk to other women and how they have developed their own careers and their own businesses. So today we have Margarita de Guzman, who is the managing director of Circle CRM Group, who work in BC and Alberta. And Marg and I seem to keep intersecting on panels and interviews. And I would like to say she's one of my newest friends, even though we've barely met in person. And I'm really excited (laughs) to have her here. Welcome, Marg. Thank you, guys. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's nice to meet you sort of virtually. Yeah, we've never met. I first like saw you guys at a BCAPA meeting that the first one that I attended and I was like, I don't know anybody here and you guys were there and you were the ones because they were asking for more money, <laughs> the BCAPA. And you guys were <laughs> I like, don't believe it. No, not not the BCAPA. <laughs> I don't believe it for you a guys were like, Why don't we just give it? <laughs> <laughs> And I really enjoyed that because the big companies were like, no, we have to ask people and blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. And that was in that was is that the one that was in Victoria where the venue also had a leak? Maybe I think it was like a nightclub. Yes, that's the one. Um, and also for the, <laughs> because people don't know what we're talking about when we say BCAPA, BC Association of Professional Archaeologists. And it's not the BC Association of Professional Aromatherapists. Right, <laughs> which, which is how it used to come up. Although that's kind of fun too. 
yeah, that was a really interesting meeting. And actually that kind of showed the difference between, well, one of the many differences between the, you know, these smaller businesses that we have and then the larger businesses, because if I remember, you know, folks from Golder and, and other large environmental firms, they were like, well, you know, we need to, you know, we need to run that up the chain and see if we can give money in. And all, and of course, then it's like it falls to the small companies to be financing these things because we're like, well, we brought our checkbook. Um, why don't we just do that? And then everyone can move on from this topic. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we would love, if you're willing, to tell us a bit of your origin story. Well, I started Circle in 2010 after having worked as a consulting archaeologist for another company in Calgary only for four years. Before that, like to go way back, I have an economics degree and in my- I saw that. I saw that in your bio and I did not know that. And I was like, that's very cool. It's crazy. I wish I had an economics degree. (laughs) That would be really helpful. I remember very little from it. Um, I tell people, I'm like, oh yeah, I can run a business. I have an economics degree, but I don't use it. I can draw you a supply and demand curve. Basically. Yeah. Yes. I was going to ask you if you could just quickly scratch up one of those and send yeah, it over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be like, like a broker and have fancy suits and a, and a corner office and all that kind of stuff. And then um, in my last year at uh, UBC at University of British Columbia, I, I was flipping through the calendar and found an archaeological field school in England. So I went on that and I came back and I just, that's what I wanted to do. I quit my job. I was some sort of broker. I quit my job, but I wasn't ready to go back to school yet. So I did a few things. I taught English in Japan. I worked in Whistler as a ticket agent. Can't remember what else I did now. I worked retail. I basically, if you've watched Days and Confused, I spent a few years L I V I N. <laughs> if we watch Days and Confused, that yeah. was one of that was one of my teenage like seminal movies. Oh, it's the best. If it ever comes on, I'm like, oh, time stands still now. I can't do anything. I have to watch this movie for the 187th time. <laughs> so yeah, then I went back to school and then I ended up working in England because I really loved European archaeology. Some opportunities were presented to me to be able to work in Austria and Italy. And then I tried to stay in England and, and I couldn't because archaeology is not considered a profession. They don't advertise that you need a degree and they pay minimum wage. Yeah. So I was really forced to come back to Canada and I didn't know what I wanted to do. But a job opening came up because that was 2006 during the boom. And so there was a job opening in Calgary. I had to take it. I was unemployed and broke. And so I took that job, stayed for four years and needed a different direction where I could make my own potential, basically. So... I saw two other former um, co-workers start companies and I thought if they could do it, I could do it way better. <laughs> so that was, that was like the leap from employee yeah. to employer. Yeah. Yeah. And so like what, like when, when you were setting out to do that, was the vision just like, I just don't want to have a boss or was it explicitly like, I want to be someone else's boss or like, what was the kind of scale that you were looking for? Honestly, it was. I don't like where I am anymore. I'm not happy where I am anymore. What, what can I do from here? I could just go apply in another job, but wouldn't it be the same? So I, I've done sales and marketing and I have an economics degree. So I kind of just thought I'd give it a shot with the whole idea that um, it wasn't necessarily permanent. If I failed, at least I tried. I just wanted to see what else was out there. So for, for years in the beginning, because in the beginning, I, like I had no work, I always kept an open mind on, on the advice of one of my very good friends. She's like, just keep an open mind so that whatever happens would happen. If, if we grew, that's great. If we didn't, then I knew I was employable and can go somewhere else, but I wanted to give it a shot. And then as I was doing it, I was like, okay, we need to double revenue. We need to grow. We need to, and then all of these goal, new goals keep coming every year. So yeah, at first it was like, I need a job and I don't know who I want to work for. So I'm going to work for myself. <laughs> That's awesome. So what was the, like, do you have, because Amanda and I were talking about our first projects, like as Clianza and we started in 2009. So very similar trajectory, like late, to, well, yeah, 2009. 
And so roughly the same lifespan. And so we talk about kind of um, the growth of the company with certain projects as milestones because they had helped us like level up. And do you have any kind of projects that stand out as like a first project or like a project that really pushed you to the next level or anything like that? I used to work at at Bison and their their niche is small-scale oil and gas. So that's where my niche was. Like when I started, I just, I cold called hundreds of people and I just set up a bunch of meetings. And then my first job was like a well pad um, in Southeast Alberta. And it was interesting because I had to, I was in BC at the time I was in Williams Lake or 100 Mile House because I I took on a job as an assistant with Altamira Mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't have any work. So I went and worked as an assistant with my, my friend and I got the call out there, but at the same time, my friend's father had passed away. So I was planning to drive to Vancouver. So I got the call. We drove to the border and my boyfriend, Joe, met me there. Then we drove to Vancouver, went to a funeral, then drove to Medicine Hat so we could do this uh, impact assessment the next day. Cause I was like, we just got to do this project. And so that was our, my first client. And they gave us projects every year, like a few well sites here and there, but it was really the work with Altamira that, that really allowed us our rapid growth because the owner of that company wanted to sell. It took a bit of a process. Kristen, who is my right, one of my right hands here now, she was working at Altamira. We initially were going to acquire that business together, but it just sort of worked out better for Circle to acquire that business. And with that growth, we were like, we went from me and sub, some subcontractors to 20 employees pretty much right away. Wow. So that was really like- That's rapid growth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, whoa, what, what do I do? And I, I, I look back and I, I think how I used to go in the field and did my you know, 10, 11, 12 hour days. And I would look at the clock, like it's only 10 PM. I could still work for two more hours. <laughs> and I would do that on the daily. And yeah, it's crazy. I remember when Clienza started out and I didn't, I wasn't able to get paid for the first couple of years, like just kind of working to kind of, to keep the company going. Um, was it the same for you or you kind of working for free or did you immediately start drawing a wage? Oh man, no. Um, um, when I, before I like made it official, I went to the bank and I, I got a line of credit to sustain me for six months. And so I started, I think it was in June, 2010. And I pretty much started working for Altamira right away, like in July. I was like, I have no work. Can I, can I get some part-time work? And then I also worked for Elections Canada, which was like $7 an hour. I just did what I could to to pay the bills basically. And I, and I chatted with Jode who was working on his master's and also working part-time or like, can we pay the bills while I try to grow this? I was, I would have worked anywhere, to be honest. I don't mm-hmm. think I really started taking like good pay work. I remember always telling my friends, like it's broke, broke January, <laughs> broke February, turned into broke March. <laughs> um, yeah, probably not till like all Tamira days. Where I was like, no, I need I need to be able to pay my mortgage here without eating peanut butter every day. <laughs> I mean, it's nothing wrong with peanut butter, but I know what you mean. Yeah, I had it for breakfast. <laughs> when when we when we think back to the early days, we always talk about you know a lot of it was done from Amanda's living room. We all just kind of bunk together in our jammies. Uh, we would be working the same thing like late at night. This was pre kids. Had a couple like dazed husbands uh, and boyfriends in tow. <laughs> we were like, what is happening? <laughs> and Amanda's house always had like a bunch of us just kind of living there. Uh, there was always boxes of wine on the counter. We were, and I was living on fried egg sandwiches. I think for every meal at that point. And and we relied on you to make your amazing guacamole. Oh, and I would always be making guacamole, like when we came home from the field, and we would all be taking turns, like feeding the farm animals and just like digging out trucks, and it was just a hot mess. 
in those early days, but it was super fun, right? And but it wasn't all fun because one of the things that we've talked about in a previous episode is we also had like some serious uh, hurdles put in front of us. And the example that we were using is like going to the bank and asking for increases in our credit line and asking for a credit line. And we were just getting turned down. And then when we were having kids, the bank manager was asking about our plans if we were going to have any more kids because that would limit our ability to work. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, true story. Like, did you have any experiences of basically like, well, financial institutions, other organizations kind of not seeing the vision that you could see? Yes. I hate banks. <laughs> yeah, same. They're the pits. Yeah. And what's interesting is my sister uh, has worked for TD Canada Trust since she was 18 years old. That's, that's the only place she's worked her whole life. And um, wow. I could not get a loan from them. I, the line of credit that I got to sustain me in the very beginning was a personal line of credit, really just based on my income over the last um, few years at Bison, but when we were looking into acquiring Altamira, the biggest issue Kristen and I had was like, where are we going to get this money? We need at least a little bit. Um, so we went to Alberta Women's Entrepreneurs, I think that's what it's called, AWE, and they were sort of willing to help us. Like we built a business plan. They wanted a two-year like cash flow projection, and of course we were just like, I don't know, <laughs> numbers in a spreadsheet. And it wasn't until I got introduced to BDC and BDC was like, I love them. I can, I, I can just call them up and say, I need money. And they're like, okay, but the big banks won't help. Like with the acquisition, I had to go to BDC. And so I go to them for everything. Um, and my sister's advice is that a, as an entrepreneur, there's no security or very limited security. And then B as an archeologist, who's an entrepreneur, like that's even worse. Like, I was like, I want a private banker. She's like, you can't have one. I'm like, why not? Cause you're an archeologist and we don't consider you a profession. (laughs) That is captured too, like in the WorkSafe BC tariffs or whatever, we're grouped together with astronomers. (laughs) Uh, and psychics Uh, and hey I'm not I'm not bashing astronomers or psychics but I don't necessarily think um we're in the same working group yeah yeah absolutely yeah but BDC um was really great I remember the year after we acquired Altamira um the field season was starting up and I was like I can't cover payroll like oh well how about a cash injection loan and I got it like the next day Oh my God. So they've been really great to me, but the other big banks, I, I won't even ask them anymore because I don't even want to go through it. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to reach out to the BDC, Jenny. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought we had previously. <laughs> I know that you had a connection there. And what does B- BDC stand for again? The Business Development Bank of Canada, I think. Yeah, yeah. And they, they love small businesses as far as my experience goes. Yeah. Yeah, we have applied there before, um, but we were having a bad year. So our books didn't look very good. And they just said, sorry, try again some other time when your books look better. Maybe it's a different group of people here in Terrace than the BDC in Alberta. That cash injection loan got finalized. I think I was in the Philippines on holiday and they, they made that happen. So when you started this business, I mean, there was other archaeological firms and I think it's, I didn't actually realize you, you acquired Altamira. I didn't know that part of the story, which is really interesting to hear. And I want to hear more about that <laughs> because I think that's, that's a really interesting way to grow a business uh, is through acquisitions. But when you were seeing these competitors and, and I, know, I don't know, like in the early days of business, at least, at least us, we didn't necessarily have this really formal business plan where we would lay out competitors and lay out our competitive advantage in like a formal sense like we we certainly knew that organically but it wasn't necessarily in this really nice document or anything like that but well like what did you feel that you could or or wanted to do or offer that other folks weren't doing I, I felt that my economics degree actually played a big role here my economics degree and my sales and marketing background uh I for almost a year I worked as a sales rep for a company called RC Sports. So I was a BC sales representative. I sold snowboard bags and snowboard accessories. And part of that job was cold calling and meeting clients and going for meetings and stuff like that. So I knew how to do 
like client relations. And I felt that most archaeologists, as you said in the very beginning, they don't have that background because they, they, they're just archaeologists. So I think that is what really helped me. I really think that the relationships are, are the biggest thing. And that's where a lot of our clients have come from. Mm-hmm. Even there's even one person here in Calgary who he was open to have a meeting with me. He has never, never been a client. I think I met him in 2010. He has not been a client, but he continues to recommend me to other people that might be looking for archaeologists based on that one meeting that might have lasted half an hour. Hmm. So why do you think that was? I don't know, but I, I do think that creating relationships might be one of my strengths. Like, I don't think I'm necessarily um, a strong conversationalist or an extrovert, but I think I'm good at creating those relationships. And then uh, our clients or potential clients, basically anybody that was willing to meet with me back in the day, they continue to get reminders of us. Like we send out spring and Christmas postcards um, and our our list just keeps growing because I I can't bring myself to remove anyone from the list, even if it's been 11 years since we've spoken. I think that that relationship factor is really good. And I, I just noticed a difference when, I was able to go to the odd meeting um, when I was at Bison, and, and I, I, I just felt from my perspective, I was able to, to add that to the meeting that I helped make that meeting just a little bit more, I don't want to say personal, but I don't know if it's a female touch. I don't know. But I think that relationship thing is, is, where, we, is where we thrive. Yeah, I, I would say so too. That's been really critical for us is we think that we're actually in the business of relationships and not the business of archaeology at all, right? Like at the end of the day, it's about relationships with clients and having a good relationship with a regulator. And of course, having an excellent, healthy relationship with descendant communities as well. And if those aren't working, the archaeology kind of doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I've always said that we're in the customer service industry yeah. and archaeology is just our trade. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, I remember going to one of our peer forums a couple of years ago and there was a guest speaker and he had asked everyone in the group, there was like eight or nine of us, who's a salesperson here? And only like two people put up their hands and he was like, no, every single one of you is a salesperson mm-hmm. and, and you're dealing with relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And that kind of really changed in my head as well, that it was all about the relationships. And of course, with our staff as well is like the most important relationship of all, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. That has been a big focus for us in the last couple of years. Yeah. You guys seem to have like a really great culture at Circle. I mean, <laughs> if social media tells me anything, it's, <laughs> is that you guys are, is that you guys are having a blast over there? Yeah, I really believe in having fun because otherwise, what's the point, right? Absolutely. But, but you know, it's kind of like the first thing that goes at the door when, you know, you're trying to make payroll or, you know, get things in on deadline. I th- and I think that's a mistake that we've made. Uh, and I'm, I don't just mean in business. I mean, like in life, uh, like not always prioritizing fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What are you talking about, Jenny? We've always been having fun. <laughs> I'm always laughing. I mean, if that's an indicator, right? I'm probably just lacking oxygen or something. I'm getting delirious. I'm Come on, uh, farm animals in the living room. You know, it's, it's, wine. it's interesting because as we've been doing like, uh, and Margie and I talked about this really briefly, but as Amanda and I have been redoing our strategic plan and our, our vision for the company, um, that's something that's really, it seems to be kind of coming to the forefront is this like, more fun approach it's not worded as that but just to be enjoying ourselves more and we talk about it in different language like having the work-life balance or um you know things like that but it's definitely something that we're reprioritizing it and it already feels really good yeah that's great yeah we we actually just did this recently um we had a two-day strategic planning session and we wrote rewrote our to north and our core values and our what our culture represents and having fun was part of that but what we said was that having fun means um, we enjoy what we do and we always we consistently not always because it's hard sometimes but we consistently have a positive attitude Mm -hmm. and that that really just like you know when you're in the muskeg and it's hailing and you're not finding a site you haven't found one for days maybe and like you've just and the mosquitoes are sucking you dry yeah yeah, helicopter's not coming back yeah all of that stuff so 
if we if we continue to remember you know the positive attitude then that will just help us to not dive deep into the negativity and that will just make everything better yeah it's so true <laughs> Um, so as a woman in business, you also, so are you the, the sole owner of the company or do you have, how does that work? Yeah, it's just me. And so do you think there's any difference between like you owning the business as a woman versus, you know, a man owning the business or like having a, a mixed model or, you know, is there, is there a difference at all between a woman running a biz- business and not? All of my bosses have been men. Mm. So I see a difference whether or not it's just my experiences or if it's something we could apply as a rule. I know for me, I really had to learn to take my emotions out of my business and making and decision making. And I think that's a big difference because men are are in general less emotional. Do you think so? The ones that I've I have worked with, yes. <laughs> I agree with Margarita. Yeah, I, I always think that 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 men have the same level of emotion. They're just not allowed to show it. Well, yeah, maybe that's the difference that they're able to to not show it. But I rem- I do remember, like I don't know when it changed, but I really had to work on like if there was perhaps a disagreement on the way things should be done, or because Jode, who's my common law partner, he's not he's not an owner, but obviously as my life partner he is involved or I go to him for advice a lot and sometimes we'll disagree and then it will turn into uh, a disagreement and I've had to learn like okay this isn't a personal attack on how I make decisions or anything like that whereas men I find if they were having that discussion together they could just keep talking about it for hours and hours and hours and nobody would want to cry whereas I would want to cry like (laughs) yeah yeah so would, would you say then there was a point where you were like a tangible point where you had to make that decision and like change yourself? Yeah, I, I did. And, and, and for the good, because my, my emotions, because like I care a lot about the staff and I'm, I'm kind of going through that right now because one thing we give them all is flexibility. If you want a day off to attend an important event in your life, like you know, at past jobs, you can only take a day off. It was, if it was your wedding or, you know, your immediate family, an immediate family member passed away. But like, what if it was, you know, not defined that way, but was still important to you. So we, we give that flexibility. And the, the more our staff grows, I'm like, this is getting harder and harder to plan mm-hmm. around. Like, how, how do I deal with this? Because, because I care so much. And if, if people are, I don't know, whatever they might be going on in their lives, I care a lot, but I have to remember that, you know, while we do have to care and help them out, there are business decisions that need to be made. And we have to think about how, how it impacts the, the greater team and the greater goal. Whereas before it was like, okay, yeah, I understand. I'll take over. I'll come in the field just for one day and come back. Like, yeah, I see, I see how it, it has to, how it impacts my decisions. I have to remove my emotions more out of it. I feel like Amanda and I had a similar, um, I don't know if we call it an epiphany or a realignment or a resetting where we felt like we were prioritizing everybody else except for ourselves. And we were left kind of holding it at the end of the day uh, Mm -hmm. in order for everyone else to be happy. And we were exhausted. And I actually don't even think it was like, it it wasn't a good business model uh, at all either. Like it just wasn't working. And that's not to say that we suddenly change and don't care about our staff anymore. We that's, that's not it at all. But we do you remember this, Amanda, we were kind of like, this is, this is it. We are like focusing on ourselves and the business as well as staff. Yeah, we had to reprioritize reprioritize what our priorities were and that, yeah, I mean, ultimately we look out for everyone, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> our staff don't always look out for us. And so we, we realized that we had to re- really prioritize ourselves. A few years ago, uh, so we have a person here who I designated our culture champion. So um, people go to her if they have issues and stuff. And one time I was in the field and I can't remember where I was going, but I backed the truck in, into a pole and the whole back windshield smashed. And oh, I, no. I was like, what? And I get out of the truck and 
that pole, there was nothing around it for at least 50 meters. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I tell everyone this story because Brooke was like, okay, who's taking care of you? And I'm like, nobody. <laughs> because when we did like the investigation, you know, and you ask all those whys, like, why did this happen? And I was like, well, because Marg is overloaded and like doesn't, is doing too much. Like, how do you back into a pole that has nothing around it for 50 meters? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's not like you don't care, but you have to remember that you matter too. Yeah, definitely. And, and also what you're saying about like the term, I'm sitting here gazing out the window, thinking about this, where you're saying about like changing with the emotions. I feel like I, I'm not sure that that's something that we've necessarily done. And I don't know if it's different because there's two of us. I feel like historically, maybe we started that way, but I, I, I can say for myself, I've always been an emotional person, which is like a strength and a weakness. It means that people know exactly what I'm feeling because I have no filter at all, which is good and bad. That's not, that's not a one size fits all. But I find that because Amanda and I have such complementary uh, personalities, that the other one would kind of end up balancing it out. So for example, if I think of Amanda felt emotion, I'm just using Amanda, I'm just going to use you as an example from my choices of all. Oh, I'm never emotional. (laughs) But if Amanda's feeling emotional, I can step in and kind of be the non-emotional one or vice versa. Right. What do you think, Amanda? Yeah. Well, as Margarita's talking, I'm thinking, oh, geez, like I feel so, I don't know, just so lucky to have a partner because we do bounce things off each other and we do help balance each other out and if one of us is having you know an issue or some problems whether it be at work or in our personal lives we're always there for each other and I can't imagine like being on my own again like I was on my own in the beginning but Mm -hmm. but not really um I mean you are always there from the beginning as well so yeah, I just, I can't imagine going solo. So please don't ever leave, Jenny, please. <laughs> How could I? <laughs> yeah, I? I'm pretty lucky. Um, I also have Kristen who, she lives in Edmonton, but um, she is, she's very, I wouldn't say she's non-emotional, but she is, she's very good at taking emotion out of the picture. Like mm-hmm. when we edit each other's reports, for example, like some people get offended when I red pen the crap out of their report and she's just like, no, I know it's just work. So it's fine. And if if there's ever like a tough conversation, like, can you have that conversation? (laughs) Um, And she's really good at it. And she's really good at just taking emotion out and, and realizing what needs to happen. So she's a really great go-to for me. When uh, like last year, when COVID started, we were actually stuck in Jordan and she just like took over and she's like, don't worry, I have everything. And then I realized she has three small children. She was working from like early morning. She's only working early morning at late at night around taking care of her children to, to take care of all the stuff that I would normally take care of. When I realized that, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Thank so much. Thank you. I'm going to jump out of bed now and help you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I, in this story, I think we can relate to Kristen more. <laughs> Because we, I think the early days of COVID were a real shit show. Yeah, I wish I wish we were stuck in Jordan. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, what else did we want to cover? Well, I like we're we're talking about emotions at work. I I I like this topic. Yeah. <laughs> I find that a lot of people bring their emotions to their work and to their like the product and like what margarita was saying about red penning someone's report i mean we get we get emotional feedback from our staff when we're editing their stuff and and it's never personal it's just it's just a report that needs some edits (laughs) but i remember that when i worked at golder we had an emotional mapper um, it was our GIS person. An emotional mapper. I'm just going to point out that the last person on your team that you wanted to be emotional is your GISer. <laughs> they need to be steadfast. I know. Yeah. And it was, it was mind boggling, but you would like ask them to make you a map and then they would give you this, you know, first draft of 
what you asked for. And it wasn't, it wasn't anything like what you were expecting. And so then you take that draft and you mark it up and you write on it. No, I want this like this. And I want this to look like this. And, and when it comes back with all of these emotions, it's like, come on, man, can you just make the map? <laughs> Get crying about it. So you must love Wendy extra then. We have the, the best, well, we have the best mapper in the business, Wendy, but she's also the master of emotions. She is mm-hmm. steadfast. We call yeah. her Wendy Bird. <laughs> she t- Nothing rattles her. And we've worked with her for many, many years and, and she's aces. She's amazing because she can actually read your mind. Yeah. Like, you don't like, did you mean think. did you mean that you actually wanted this? And it's like, oh, yes, I did. Thank you. That's awesome. That's how I feel about my GS person too. Oh, it's the best. And and you know, they can really make or break the whole thing. Yeah. We once had a very emotional bookkeeper as well. Oh we my had god. That several was, emotional bookkeepers. Disaster. It's like, come on, it's just the books. It's like, can you add this up and subtract this? Why get emotional about it? Yeah, we had a bad run of bookkeepers there. It was really terrible. <laughs> anyway, we landed, we landed on our on our feet. Um, I also find that this topic of emotions, in my mind, it's so tied to values and like values-based decision-making. And so it's interesting, Mark, to hear you talk about like doing your um, strategic planning session and talking about core values, because I feel like at Cleanse, and this is maybe true for you too, and I'd be interested in hearing about it, is we were talking about like being values-led before we understood that that was like a technique used in strategic planning. And we always felt that like being values-led or being led by instinct or your gut or whatever it's called, it always seemed to be something that made us as a women-owned company a bit different because sometimes we just wouldn't take projects on because it didn't fit, like it didn't feel right or it didn't fit with what we were trying to do or or we wouldn't hire someone for that same reason or, you know, and, and we didn't realize at the time that we were doing you know, what's now called values-based decision-making techniques, right? And I wondered like if you had any experience with that. No, <laughs> like, be, like being led by your gut or anything, like just because something feels right or doesn't feel right. Or I have not said no to our project yet. I almost said no to one. We're in a very different environment, right? Yeah. Um, we're in Alberta, oil and gas country. Our engagement with um, indigenous people, for example, is very limited because the requirements are so slim when it comes to archaeology. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I know in BC, it, it's it's such a huge factor and it's so important where it's just not the way it is in Alberta. Um, we, we've just started to create or work on an Indigenous inclusion policy, but like we just started um, to see awesome. what we can do like here in Alberta, because in, in Alberta, they're, they're just really behind. So we haven't really had any instances where we really disagreed with the, the clients and or they were asking us to do anything that was something that we weren't comfortable with. Um, so I think we're pretty lucky in that way. And with the strategic planning, it's also very new to me. This is the first strategic planning session I've ever had. I've never really been a forward planner. I've always, people like when, you know, you go to job interviews and then say, what do you see in self in five years? And my answer was always, I don't know, happy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's a value, right? Like that's, that's, that's working towards a feeling. Yeah. But now as I'm getting older, I'm like, wait a sec, like, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 80 or 70 or 60. Like, what is the, where's the line? And, and like, when I hit that line, what's going to happen? Am I going to have enough money or am I going to end up in one of those crappy old folks homes and I don't want to be there? So now it's really only recently that I'm, I'm trying to make a plan for the future. Hmm. How does that like, <laughs> I sound like my therapist. How did that make you feel? <laughs> really weird. Like he's like, okay, let's make this a uh, strategic plan. Should we do it for three years or five years? I'm like, whoa, in three years, I'm going to be 50. Then I cursed a lot. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't like this at all. So it's, it's very uncomfortable, uncomfortable, but also exciting at the same time to think that you know, like if we have succeeded just being like operationally efficient and leading with our gut and, and maybe we were, maybe I was leading with values, but just, it wasn't formally, it wasn't formal. 
I'm just like, well, what, what are we going to be able to accomplish if we actually planned ahead? So that, that makes it exciting. Yeah. Did you include your whole team in your strategic planning? Um, it was just Kristen and I, or it, and then we're going to include um, more of our leadership team in, in the future. One of my issues is that, you know, I started as a group of one, like it's Circle CRM group. <laughs> it was a group of one, <laughs> and a group of one plus a couple of subcontractors. And then when we took on Altamira, like we just kept growing, but I was still the, the only leader. Like Kristen is a leader and Joe is a leader, but not in the sense of um, they, they knew all of the like strategic decisions I was making, whether they were informal or formal. So that's something that we're working on right now is to involve more of our senior staff in, in what happens like at the top. Yeah, we found it was good when it was shared about, um, we were commenting recently that we, we particularly love our leadership team right now. We feel it's so strong and we're excited for kind of what the future holds because of that too. I think, yeah, having more than one person kind of steering the ship it, it, I th- we think it's a great model because it, it means there's, you know, people to bounce things off. And sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was really great to have Kristen in that session um, because I'm in um, some business groups. So I've been exposed to this kind of, these kinds of thoughts and um, things I should be doing for a couple of years, but it was very new to Kristen. So it was really great to just get her perspective. It's interesting when you bring in other senior staff to the table because um, there's so much, only so much that you can think of, right? And, and your, your thoughts are coming from the, the village that you were a part of. So yeah, it's great to really expand that leadership team. Yeah, we also found that we had a hard time getting buy-in on our strategic plan when the, the one time that Jenny and I uh, did a planning session by ourselves, it was just the two of us. Prior to that, we had always included our leadership team and and then, yeah, we just, we found we, it was hard to get everybody on the same page with where we were going. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're actually redoing our strategic plan right now. And we're including not everybody, but um, we opened it up to everybody and then just have a handful of people that wanted to participate because not everybody was into it. So, yeah, and we got some really good perspectives from the different people that are helping to roll that out. So yeah, I think inclusion is, is really important. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. We were talking earlier about, you know, different things that we would do differently now, right? So we were talking, for example, about how we were really employee led, like to a fault in the beginning and had to realign ourselves, uh, not only with each other, but with the health of the business. And then ultimately everyone does well from that. Right. So it's still a way of, of, um, helping staff by focusing on the health of the business and ourselves. Like, did you have any mistakes that you felt you made that you learned from or any kind of lessons learned in taking this business over a decade from, you know, a a one person group, (laughs) a group of one to a group of, you know, more than 20. Like in the beginning, like I, I'm sure we're very similar, you know, you, you go out and you just work and work and work and work. And there's just that like really strong work ethic. And, and a lot of um, younger kids growing up, they, I want to say they don't, it's not that they don't have the same work ethic, but they, I think they have a, a stronger ethic when it comes to like work-life balance, mm-hmm. like having a, appropriate days off and why are you working so much? <laughs> but I think it was uh, in the fall of 2018, we, we lost a couple of really key staff. And that's when we started to focus on people because um, I was seeing that there was turnover that I didn't enjoy. You know, you don't want to train and retrain staff constantly. And there's a shortage of senior archaeologists. Um, I don't know about BC, but in Alberta, I oh, was it's the same. It's the oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I needed a senior perm holder and I was looking for years. And I think it wasn't until we developed this focus on culture and focus on, on people that we were able to attract some, some senior archaeologists. Because um, before, like nobody knew, well, nobody knew who Circle was and Altamira didn't really have the greatest rep- reputation. The, really the focus on culture and people. I think if we had 
done that from the get-go, we, we might have like a lot of lifers. And I mean, we have a, I think we have a really great team right now, but maybe the last few years would have been a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's totally resonating. Hey, Amanda. Uh, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. We, we've had the same struggles probably so, since about the same time. Um, and we had, you know, really long-term staff before then, and then kind of lost a, a, a quite a number of key people around the same time, which, you know, silver lining has turned out to be really positive in the long run, mm. but you know, it made it really difficult there. And we were just scrambling. And um, I, I mean, we were, I think we were both just suffering burnout from trying to pick up the slack and, and other staff members were also suffering burnout, which then had this domino effect because then they weren't happy and so on. And yeah, we're absolutely, we've been spending time refocusing on culture and like wellness, mm-hmm. um, not like in the, not like in the self-help sense, but like, are people happy? And if they're not, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it makes such a big difference because you don't realize, like for the people that had left, we didn't realize how bad it was until they actually left. Yeah. And you, you tell them that, oh, my door is always open. You can always come to me. But totally. And they never did, right? Oh, no, they, they don't. We had the same thing and we were always saying our door is open, talk to us, talk to us. And then we would get this like cold email um, being like, you know, here's my two weeks notice. Yeah. And we were like, oh, like that hurts so much because we were always so sincere about being accessible. Well, and it, it um, sometimes happens like right after a, a review with an employee and the review is very positive and they, you know, they spill their guts out to you. And then, but at no point during the review, they mention they're unhappy. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Hey. Yeah. 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 And that's why um, we instituted the culture champion because not everyone is comfortable coming to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that are comfortable coming to me are people that I've spent time in the field with, right? You're in the truck with them all the time, spend a lot of time with them. So they get to know you on a, on a peer-to-peer level. But for a lot of people that have come after that, um, I'm, I'm just their boss. So uh, they're not entirely comfortable to come with me, come to me when they have concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brooke has been really good at, at, at being that go-between. Yeah, I think I think that is key is like having someone other than the owners for folks to go to. Mm-hmm. We also recently started a, like a HR hotline. Oh, I, nice! I work with an external HR company. Um, I'm part of WPO, and the owner is in my group. And yeah, she's like, we can have this hotline. It nobody will know um, who called. We'll just let you know how many calls you get, and if there's anything that we feel you need to address. So yeah, if, if for some reason they're not comfortable going to anybody, then they can call that number. Oh, that's an awesome idea. We just, we have been talking for years about ha- having external HR. We always kept it in house. Um, just, I think it was one of those important, but not urgent things that we just kind of kept putting on the back burner and we're like, oh, we'll deal with it. We'll deal with it. Even though HR takes the most amount of time. And so finally this past year, we have external HR and uh, her name's Sophia, and she has been amazing. Shout out, Sophia. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like total game changer, yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, we use uh, a company called Elevated HR. So I'll just give a shout out to, to, to Michelle Berg out there. She, they also do like leadership courses. So we have some of our um, like mid-level managers, like holders or, or supervisors doing this essentials for leadership course and it's really making a difference I think for them and then in the winter we'll, we'll roll out to to more staff as they have more time um, and she's like forward thinking she's not just like okay I'll do whatever you need but she'll be like I, oh, I think you need this and I'm recognizing this she was actually the first one to say Margarita I think that your core values might need some adjustment because I'm not seeing it in your staff Oh, really? That, oh, (laughs) yeah, that's something that we had kind of discovered as well. Kind of third party. Hey, Amanda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've always had like our staff tell us that um, they're attracted to Clienza because of our company culture, but we've never really focused on it. So this year we're, we're making more of an effort 
Well, that's pretty cool. If you've never focused on it, like imagine what it will be. <laughs> Guys, the limit. Or, or sometimes like Amanda and I are having those key conversations and then, but you know, they're happening in the evening while we're cooking dinner and kids are running around. And we realize that we need to be like folding the staff more into those conversations so that, you know, they're realizing that this is like, like it's flowing all the time. Like we're always thinking about it, but not, but not formalizing it, not always touching it. Right. And so I think that's where staff felt the disconnect was they're like, well, we're not seeing this culture in action. We're not seeing these values in action, even though they were always in action. Um, but like behind the scenes, because I think Amanda and I were taking them for granted. Right. Cause we're just trying to live them. Yeah. As our team grew too. So, cause we have uh, our BC team and Alberta team, and I was leading the Alberta team and um, someone else, Joe was leading the BC team and we're very different people. Um, and we noticed that, um, that the culture represented itself differently because you had these two different leaders um, across two different provinces and we had to uh, figure out a way to get it all aligned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was a difficult thing because it's easy to just write it down. Like, okay, now go live it. <laughs> and didn't work. I'm curious, do you guys have your company culture written out? Like, is it, is it something that you've written down? Um, yeah, well, we, I created a new employee manual um, a couple of years ago. It was almost a carbon copy of the other culture manual that someone had, I'm part of an entrepreneur organization and they had a people day. They're like, this is my manual, you can copy it. And so I did. But just yesterday, we just released our staff newsletter. And in that, we defined five points that define our culture, how we behave and show up. And that was probably the first time we really wrote it down. Like it was kind of put into this manual before, like, this is what we do differently. This is what we expect of you. But we felt like people weren't really reading it because it was, it's a, there's lots of pages. Um, So yeah, just yesterday, they, they, they've, they've seen it and we, I've shared it with a few of our consultants. So they're like, yeah, this looks good. This, this aligns with what we see. Um, yeah. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I've been learning more and more about company culture and, and, I uh, learned recently that Netflix has theirs available publicly and it's in a, like a PowerPoint slide deck and mm-hmm. yeah. And it's all about like what, what employees and what, what, what they expect of their employees. And I guess they require all potential staff who want to work at Netflix to, to read it. And if they don't like it, then they're just not fit to work there. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. that was interesting for me to learn. It's like, well, if people don't like it, then they're not a fit. And they'll totally. I'm like, really? That was a hard, that was a hard thing for us to learn too, but um, I think Amanda was the first one who had said it. And I was like, of course, that's so obvious. Um, but we hadn't talked about it like that. And they were like, yeah, that's just, if we're not a good fit for someone and they're not a good fit for us, that's fine. We, it's better to know it, better to know it now. Right. Yeah. It's, it's good to learn that you don't, you know, you don't have to keep everyone that comes through your door, keep the good ones. Totally. And, and we, and we really do have such a good team right now. It seems like you do too. Um, we're getting all sorts of cues that we need to start asking some last questions or I think Grace and, and Kelly's heads will explode. Um, <laughs> did you have a moment or maybe you didn't, um, where you, where you felt that you had graduated to like a leader as opposed to just an owner? Like, was there like maybe a confidence change or kind of how you viewed yourself or is that something that's still happening or where do you kind of sit with that? I think there was a point, like when we acquired Altamira in 2015, uh, I think 2016 was the one year I did not hold any permits. Um, oh, jealous. <laughs> yeah, that was just one year. <laughs> Five years ago. Um, and I made a conscious decision to move into management. Mm. Um, and it was, it was actually very selfish because I felt I wanted to see Jode because he is in the field all the time. And I wanted to have that flexibility where I could have friends and have a relationship. Um, but really, when I moved into management, I felt like a leader. But in the last, probably last couple of years, ever since I joined EO, um, I've really learned about um, 
yeah, how, how I need to be showing up for people. And I'm, I just delegate a lot better. And now I'm thinking about like everything I can delegate and what everyone should be doing. And yeah, it's really in the last couple of years when I'm not in the field, really. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's, it's kind of paradoxical, but it's like stepping away to be a better leader yeah. has to happen a lot of the time. Um, and that's something I think Amanda and I have been try- trying desperately to do, but we're like Velcro, everything <laughs> sticks to it. Oh, it's so hard. Um, would you say there's anything that you would tell other women who are listening to this about what makes, like, why is it worth it to run your own business? Is it worth it? Would you do it all over again? Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like there's something about um, creating your own potential um, and doing things the way you want to do it. Like, I would say in Alberta, um, we're the only really the only ones that have like a social media platform and I just enjoy that stuff personally um being able to care for my staff the the way we do and having the culture the way we do like I I like being able to make that decision and I think right as, as women um like in general a lot of women lack the confidence to make decisions and like roll with their own ideas and act from their own ideas and I think as women, if we show other women that they can do it, like the possibilities then become endless. You know, I think there's just so much more potential if you yeah. do it for yourself. Totally. And I find that um, being an owner of Clianza and, and being one of the faces of Clianza, it's one of my proudest accomplishments. I'm, I'm really proud to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You're really good at it too. <laughs> <laughs> So amazing. All I do is talk, 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 talk. Um, and we know that there's other, you know, women business owners out there. And we also know that there's other women who are maybe thinking about starting their own business or their own consulting company or, you know, taking heritage in a new direction. And if folks are listening and want to talk about that, we would love to hear about, about it. Um, I also feel like we're still, all three of us probably are still learning at business. And I love pro tips from other people if they have them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I learn so much every year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my final question, um, if I if I could throw it out there is what like what's next for you and circle? Like what what's gonna happen? We're gonna take over Western Canada. Yeah, you are. Um, I, I do want to see more growth. Um, I feel like I'm kind of at my cap as far as my ability and mental health goes, which is why we're really doing a lot of the strategic planning. So I'm, I'm really interested to see um, growing the leadership team and seeing how we can grow outside of what we do right now. Um, and um, we're taking on, uh, we're starting, we're doing research projects. Um, I recently watched a live Q&A with Magic Johnson. Oh, yeah. One quote, one quote really resonated with me. He said, um, we can do well and do good at the same time. Yes. So I was like, yes. yeah, like this, we're not doing this. We're archaeologists. We didn't do this for the money. <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, like, so, and, and we do a lot of forestry. So like we we're looking into like other archaeological projects that we can do that we can fund through through research dollars and awesome yeah i'd like to do more like we did a like, program in the caribbean years ago i would love to do that again in the winter and, and give our staff exposure to archaeology around the world absolutely it sounds like we we are all like we three are all talking about really similar things and i think we need to keep this going yeah you know, I, I've learned a ton, even just in these few interactions that we've had, Morgan, I, I just, I'm, I'm constantly, um, like, I, I'm so excited to hear that there's other firms, I think, setting out to do, to do very similar things, and that it's a real, it's a real sea change. And I've just, I've just loved, like, talking with you every time that we interact and can't wait to, like, clink a glass with you in person. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to come back. You got to come back on, on the pod. I'd love to. 
I'm supposed to do this one day too. It's part of my strategic plan. Yeah. And then we'll come support you. Yeah. That'd be great. Because women have to lift each other up. It can't be this, you know, it can't be this infighting. That's the stereotype of women in business. It's just not the way forward. Absolutely. Whenever I do anything like this, I, I tell people how I saw Michelle Obama a few years ago when she came. Ah, oh, she can do no wrong. Yeah. And someone asked her, you know, when do you think there will be a female president? And she said, there will be a female president when women are ready for a female president. Mm-hmm. Women need to allow each other to fail up. Um, yeah. And I constantly remember that, like women need to support each other. Yeah. Fight each other. Wow. We should, we should wrap it up here. Hey, Amanda, any, anything else you want to add? It was really nice um, getting to know you a little bit, Margarita. I, like Jenny said, uh, it'd be nice to uh, get together and clink a glass or two when we can. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait. I see an opportunity for women leaders in Western Canada uh, in archaeology, having our own little group where we get together and do a bit of a corporate retreat every year. That sounds amazing. I know. I just made it up. Let's do it. Great. Okay, well, I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Mark. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, guys. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Dig This. If you have any questions or there is something you'd like us to dig into, reach out online. You can find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Dig This Pod. If you dig us, leave us a review and tune in next week for a new episode.